Hello, and welcome to the Spoonie Authors Podcast, a podcast where we explore the stories of a different disabled author each week. We have a great interview lined up for you this week, but first, I must take a moment to address recent events in the world. Over the past three weeks, we have seen protests erupt against racism and police brutality around the globe. We at the Spoonie Authors Network want to make it clear that we condemn white supremacy and the systemic racism that upholds it. We stand with the protesters working to ensure justice for black lives. Black lives, including black disabled lives, matter. We aim to create a safe space for all and welcome disabled, autistic, neurodiverse, and or deaf by POC creatives to submit articles to us or to request an interview on the Spoonie Authors podcast. Please email all requests to spoonieauthorsnetwork at gmail.com. Now, let's dive into today's interview. Today we have with us Talia Johnson. Kohenet Talia C. Johnson is a multifaceted woman who is a transgender, autistic, Jewish, queer, and more than the sum of her parts. Her work centers on bridging faith and queer communities, educating, counseling, and mentoring. She is also a freelance sensitivity editor for queer and trans representation. Her poem, Holy Love, appears in the Resilience Anthology from HeartSpark Press. She is the first trans woman to be ordained a Kahonet and is currently studying toward an MA in Jewish studies. She is also co-editor of Nothing Without Us and is the brain of Nothing Without Us's dynamic duo. Hello, Talia. Welcome. Good. Good day. <laughs> uh, it's nice to have you on the show. Uh, I hope you're doing well these days. I know it's uh, not been the greatest weather-wise here in Toronto. It's just confusing all the time still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, although I, I think I did confuse uh, my neighbors if they saw before the snow melted because I took the recycling out and hadn't realized there was a layer of snow and was in bare feet. So there were a couple of footprints. <laughs> what fun. There was fewer Canada. spoons than going all the way back up the stairs for footwear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spoon management is really important, especially when you are doing so many awesome things. Um, although I guess these days you are not doing too much because your project nothing without us is now out in the world did you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah yeah nothing without us was something that got sparked a couple of years ago by cat gordon who is the co-editor and renaissance agreed to take it on and I got involved when Nathan said, oh, you and Talia should co-edit this. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so um, late summer 2018, yes, 2018, I can count, uh, we put <laughs> together, <laughs> we put the call for submissions together and formally released the call for submissions at the end of September 2018 with a deadline of January 31st of 2019, 
which isn't this year, despite what my brain wants to say. <laughs> it's so hard. And, and we ended up getting a lot of really good stories, some real stinkers. Um, you know, it was like they they decided to check off all the things we didn't want instead of the things we did want. And you know, nine months after the end of the call for submissions, we had a birth, a book baby. And we realized about two thirds of the way through that process that we, we might've been just a wee bit too hyper-focused on it in getting it done. And I think it's that's only natural when you're really excited about something though. It, it is. And it's 22 really fantastic stories of multiple genres. I call it genre queer. And uh, there's just, a, you know, so many fantastic stories that uh, uh, we're, we're really excited to have it out and about in the world and actually in a university classroom this term. Yeah, I heard about that. That's really amazing. Do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, how that happened? Or uh, well, taught? <laughs> it's at Trent University. Uh, Derek Newman still is was is slash was. They're they're alive, so it's not past tense in that sense, but past tense in the sense that they wrote the foreword and have a story in the anthology. And Derek teaches disability studies at Trent University and was so excited about the book and enthusiastic about all the stories that they wanted to teach it this term. That's really cool. So tell us why this project is so important to you and why this project is so important to have in the world today. The mess oh, that it is. <laughs> let me count the ways. Um, there is a ton of really lousy disability representation in stories, in media. Um, crap tons of inspiration porn where the disabled person exists to provide inspiration to able folk and overcomes everything is despite the disability, uh, et cetera, you know, and the whole point of nothing without us is that we're the heroes, not the sidekicks. Um, and I've been, been new political junkie and, you know, going through far too much popcorn with what's going on or what has been going on in, in the previous year. I haven't watched much in 2020 yet. And one of the ads that comes up on YouTube every so often is for, a, for an NBC thing, which is essentially weekly inspiration porn. <laughs> so... Yeah, so nothing without us is so needed to help counteract the crap that's out there. And all of these people yeah. speaking over 
the voices and sign language of disabled, deaf, autistic folk. Um, can we backtrack a minute uh, and can you just explain the concept of inspiration porn for anyone who might be new to this conversation? Inspiration porn is when somebody's story is lifted up as, oh, look what they did, even though they're disabled. Or isn't this person so wonderful for asking Johnny to the prom because Johnny's autistic and there's no way Johnny could go to a prom. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a good summary. Um, and so you did get all of these stories and what to you is the most exciting part of working on this project? And yes, you are allowed to say finishing the project. <laughs> that counts. Yeah. Yes, that was that was a big deal. Um, just all the stories that we got and the number of people saying, when are you doing the next one? And people were saying that before we were even out with the <laughs> the final edition. And we're like, whoa, whoa, let us recover. We need a nap. <laughs> let us have a nap first, guys, and then we can talk about this. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and it's really exciting that it is selling well. Um, um, had some numbers yesterday and today, and it's just phenomenal. That's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, I think this is a really important anthology. I do have my copy, and I'm really excited to read it. Um, I don't read a lot of anthologies either, so this is going to be a different experience for me on many levels, and so I'm really, really excited to dive into it. Um, but I want to pivot a little bit here and talk about some of your other work. You also do sensitivity reading as uh, mostly for trans and queer issues. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that process actually looks like, like what a sensitivity reader actually does? What a sensitivity reader, I, I call it sensitivity editing because in my process, I read through and I make comments in the manuscript about what's good, what's not good, and what just should just be taken out completely. Um, for a short story, usually that's enough, unless it's a real stinker, in which case I would write a bit more uh, commentary in another, like a formal summary. For longer novel lengths or plays, uh, I do the inline editing because that makes it so much easier for the other editors, writers, etc., to know what I'm talking about and where in the in the story needs fixing, touching up, wording, better wording, etc. And then a one or two page summary about what was good, what was bad, etc. Um, and overall, like if there's major plotline issues, uh, etc. So your focus is mainly on, on the issues, but you do also provide some stuff beyond that. Like, you, you do look at the plot as a greater whole as well. 
Right. Like if if somebody were to approach me with a story that was so far out of their lane, um, I would actually say, no, do not do this. <laughs> um, and I have done that on more than one occasion where it's just like, no, stop. If you're a white woman, you're not writing about queer black women in Africa. <laughs> or queer yeah. trans women in Africa <laughs> and yeah. their experience it's that is outside that is outside your lane <laughs> you know yeah. that's an extreme example but <laughs> yeah and so I guess that that also makes that the difference because I've noticed that some people use the terms sensitivity reader and sensitivity et editor interchangeably um, but I guess that that is more of the difference between the two things is the sensitivity reader is really just focused on the one thing and the sensitivity editor is more of a holistic editor. Exactly, because it's not just the individual lines in a story that can be problematic. It can be the whole thing. Um, you know, it's just like if I were doing a sensitivity edit on a, a, about autistic folk, I would be looking for, oh, not this stereotype again, or not this story storyline again, you know. Um, and there is a lot of bad writing about autistic folks out there, both in fiction and in media, and unfortunately on the part of parents who are blogging about their kids in really harmful ways. Yeah, I've, I've seen some really horrible instances of that last one recently that just they they make my stomach churn uh it's so infuriating to see um and i think that it's definitely like one of the disabilities that a lot more people are trying to actively represent but they're most they're largely falling down on the job in those attempts is sort of the impression that I'm getting from actually autistic people who are consuming this content. We generally don't consume that <laughs> content because as soon as we see certain things, we just know don't go any further. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, often my comment on some of this stuff will be insert string of expletives here. <laughs> I appreciate that comment. Um, yeah, I've definitely seen things to that effect. Uh, but I think, you know, usually when I do see it, it's because people are actively taking the time to do the work and dismantle it because unfortunately these stereotypes and this harmful content is really pervasive and so unfortunately someone has to do the dirty unpleasant work of getting in there and correcting assumptions and I know that it is really really painful work for a lot of the people that do it as well yeah and I and with many of us who do that I do do that on occasion but I have to have the right energy for it and sometimes my response is just 100% snark because I'm tired of the male bovine manure. Yeah, well, honestly, sometimes I think uh, 
Snark is all you have, really. And it's how you get through the days um, when things get difficult. So, would moving on from that um, and and getting back to the the core of the sensitivity editing. So, what are some of the most harmful tropes that you see? Um, I would love for you to tackle this with an ableism focus because this is the Spoonie Authors podcast. But I'd love to just hear the gamut of what you experience and what you're pointing out to um, others. I've been fortunate. I haven't actually received much in the way of manuscripts that are stinkers from people seeking sensitivity editing. Um, that said, I can talk about the wider issues I I read in and see in media that still happen on a regular basis. Stereotyping, whether it's autistic folk or trans folk or people who are both is a major problem. This idea that every autistic person that goes into STEM is a computer genius, um, is a, is a, a male <laughs> and white. <laughs> there are no other autistics in the world. <laughs> and so th that's a constant problem. And then there's the I'm trying to figure out the best way to word this. Often trans folk are treated as though they are disabled in storylines with no real agency of their own. Can you unpack and, that a bit more? Like, what does that well, actually look like? Well, they're there for a sympathy. So there's an inspiration porn aspect to it. Um, you know, a lot of the stories about trans folk are either about, oh, look at how shitty their life is, or look how inspirational they are for overcoming this shit. And, you know, that's one of those things that does overlap between queer and uh, disabled stereotypes and writing about, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that are propagated in media that, that then get expressed in the stereotypes in, in writing generally. Um, you know, there's a, a trend by some who are anti-trans that say, if you're autistic, you can't know your own gender identity. And therefore what? you're not allowed access to transition. Excuse me? That, yes. That's real argument? Oh. I, I know people who have been denied access with that line. Wow, that's that's horrible. And that honestly just uh, astonishes me. I mean, wow. 
<laughs> you know, so these are the things that get inserted into other writing about trans folk, usually in pieces that are supposedly nonfiction, even though they're spouting fiction propaganda. Um, and it's bad fiction, too. <laughs> um, you mean like 2020? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Uh, uh, at least at the end of the year, we can say 2020 is now hindsight. Yes, that is very true. Oh man, that that's that's almost exciting. Um, so yeah, so that's that's where where things are around the the really bad stuff that that we see in in some of the submissions to Nothing Without Us. You know, it was like there's one story. You know, there, I I almost wanted to create a burn it with fire pile with some of the stories <laughs> because um, you know the main character was not disabled. And was like, wow, the disabled person can actually do stuff. Wow. Uh, It's amazing how you can be so clear about exactly what you're looking for and exactly what you're not looking for and just get the complete opposite. Um, I understand that's a, a really common problem with all types of anthologies, though, that, that, I mean, the specific type of not a right fit that you're getting is seems very specific to Nothing Without Us, but, the, you know, every publication, that's something that they deal with. There are just people who've clearly not read at all what they're looking for. Well, I, I think there's, these, are the, these are the same people who go to university, take classes, get their assignment for a paper, don't read the freaking assignment, and then wonder why they get a poor mark. And it's because even though everything is laid out nice and neatly, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this, they do none of them and then wonder why they fail. Yeah. You know, um, you know RTFI. What Read the effing mean? instructions. Yes, that is very uh, well put. <laughs> um, so, like, those are the most egregious examples. Um, but ableism, in particular, and transphobia are really insidious, and they come out in a lot of more subtle ways. Um, it certainly in conversation. Is that something that you find yourself working with more in your sensitivity editing, like minor stuff? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes there's there's that like choice of wording is often an issue. And you know, or the somebody might say, Oh, so and so is or the not, not necessarily in dialogue, because sometimes in dialogue having somebody be an ass is intentional yeah. because that is the character. Yeah. And that's life. There are people like that. So when it's in a character dialogue, that's very different from the narrator, the narrative voice saying, 
Pat is autistic and has meltdowns all the time and is low functioning. Like, yeah. no, functioning labels suck and they're very common in writing. Um, you know, wow, or. I love you to unpack that a bit more because I hate the functioning labels as well. Uh, they're a personal pet peeve. Yeah, it's one of mine, too, because what defines, you know, how does one define functional? Um, for somebody, you know, just getting out of bed is functional. Uh, for others, it's go, 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 but they they don't necessarily do other aspects in their life that they, they fail at, but in all other per ways look like they're having no problems whatsoever. They're deemed high functioning, therefore don't require any support. Yeah. It really does often read as an excuse to just not give certain people support is and, what I get from high functioning labels. Oh, very much. <laughs> very, very much so. In addition, it's often used as a way to shut down own voices. You know, with, oh, you're obviously high functioning, so you couldn't possibly know what's going on. With with my severely autistic, low functioning autistic kid who wets the bed and, and needs diapers because they don't know how to go to the bathroom on their own. That's really interesting. I wouldn't expect that, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised. There are always people who will find any reason to try and get a marginalized person to stop talking and stop speaking their truth. Um, all right. You know, but, so, they're, but they're parents living with autism. That's the, the that's warrior cool. parent. <laughs> the warrior mom. Isn't every parent a warrior parent? Raising kids is hard. Well, exactly, <laughs> you know, um, and, um, you know, a while back, I wrote a blog post called A Cat Named Autism, because I want to get a cat and name them autism. That way I can be living with autism. <laughs> That's fantastic. And there's, there might just be a wee bit of snark in that post. Yeah. Well, just a wee bit. Just, just, just a little bit. That's how, how we stay alive, right? Um, all right, so the next question, we've talked about everything that's wrong. What would you like to see in terms of representation in the next five to ten years? Um, where to begin? Disabled folk who aren't stereotypes. That's a good start. Editor who don't say your autistic character isn't like Rain Man or the good doctor or whatnot. So therefore isn't really autistic. Um, you know, in terms of trans representation, just freaking throw trapped in the wrong body out the fucking window 
pardon the language, but it's it's true. It is so overused. And the reason that one came to be was because that was the language that trans folk needed to use in order to access transition-related services. That's it. Um, so those are the big ones. And more diversity, you know, like autistic people are not just white men or white boys. They're queer, they're white, they're black, they're Latinx, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just infuriating. Um, yeah. I definitely agree on that last one. Um, something that I personally feel specifically with autism representation is that I feel like there are a lot of characters that are coded autistic that I wish they would actually just come out and say it and be autistic because some of them would actually be really good rep if they were honest rep. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the, the areas where I think fantasy can have an advantage because that isn't a word that's used in a fantasy-type society. So you can just have the characters be. This yeah. is who they are. You know, one of my favorite autistic representations in a novel is in... Um, Brent Weeks' Shadow's Edge, which is the second book of the Night Angel trilogy, which is just a fascinating trilogy. Um, and one of the characters is a magi, and she's in a meeting with the head of the order, who's also her sister. And to be polite, asks the sister how she's doing. And while the sister is giving the response, in her head is figuring out all the permutations involved and figuring out how to logically plot conversations. You know, if the speaker is a child or an adult in this power relationship and that, <laughs> like how to quantify and create an algorithm for small talk. <laughs> that is just so classically autistic without actually having to say it. And that's one of the one of the most important characters in the like one of the major characters of the trilogy. That's awesome. You know, so there are ways of doing it um, in fantasy without having to actually say it. That said, in general fiction, in horror, in science fiction, space opera, etc., name it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's one thing to have it, like, very clearly coded. That's nice. But to have it named feels like such a big thing. Um, that's definitely something that I hope we'll see more of in contemporary and science fiction. You know, and, and also, you know the the problem where the autistic person can't socialize and is treated extremely badly. Yeah. Yeah, that is really pervasive and frustrating. Um, 
All right, so that brings us to my final question, which is, what are you working on next? Is there going to be another Nothing Without Us anthology or something else entirely? There might be. We're discussing if we, if slash when. A lot of people have said they want a second one. So uh, I think it's quite likely that within the next couple of years, I doubt that you'll hear anything this year. Uh, maybe 2021, there might be a, a call out, uh, but we'll see. Need to get through the next few months first before we yeah. even really start doing planning for it. That's totally fair. Is there anything else you have going on that you would like people to know about somewhere they can find you? Uh, my website is taliacjohnson.ca. I'm in the process of revamping it since my ordination as a Kohenet and refocusing what I'm doing. Um, right now, it's more of a blog, and my posts haven't been all that regular due to health issues over the past year. Um, my Twitter is taliacjohnson. Um, as is my Facebook, I'm really easy to find. Um, you know, I'm not in the closet at all. <laughs> um, whereas some people are, are so far in the closet, they're seeing the lamppost and, and bench in a land of snow. And there's this uh, woman coming by in a sled offering Turkish delight. You know, it was the biggest disappointment when I actually finally tasted Turkish delight. I was like, I would not sell out my family for this. <laughs> It depends which Turkish delight. Oh. They're done really well. It can be quite good. I, I agree it's not at that level. <laughs> not not sell your family good. But it can right. actually be good. Yes. That, that's, that's nice that, to know. That big Turk chocolate bar crap is not Turkish delight. <laughs> good to know. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good luck with all of your future endeavors. And hey, maybe we'll see you again sometime. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Spoonie Authors Podcast. The Spoonie Authors Podcast is part of the Spoonie Authors Network, a community initiative devoted to sharing the stories of disabled authors and educating abled people about what life is like for disabled creatives. Transcripts of this podcast are also available on the Spoonie Authors Network. To learn more or become a contributor, visit spoonieauthorsnetwork.blog. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast streaming platform.